0: faculty and alumni taking small steps toward their giant leaps and inspiring others to do the same.
1: The Indy Motor Speedway, that place is just so special. All these little things that make it special. It's like Purdue's really ingrained in all those things. So I'm just honored to even be a part of that. I'm honored to represent my school.
0: That voice you just heard is the voice of an Indianapolis 500 winner, and she may sound familiar to all of our This Is Purdue listeners out there. That's right. We interviewed Purdue mechanical engineering alum, Angela Ashmore, before the Indy 500 and shared her story back in May. And then something big happened. Marcus Erickson won the 106th running of the Indy 500 in the Chip Ganassi Racing number no. 8 Husky Chocolate Honda. And our Boilermaker, Angela, made history as the first woman to win the Indianapolis 500 as a member of the Winning Cars crew. So naturally, we wanted an update from her. Angela took the time to talk to us about how it felt to achieve her giant leap, and we were so honored. So let's get right into it. Angela, thank you for joining us again. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, Kate. Congratulations. I'm so excited for (laughs) you, your team, Marcus. We'll throw it back to that day. I know it's a lot of buildup. It's a lot of work that goes into it. What were you feeling like waking up that morning? To be honest,
1: the few weeks leading up to the race are kind of a grind. (laughs) They wear you down because you're at the Speedway so much. And then race day is so early. So I think I was up at like 3.45 to get to the track. And I was like, thank goodness, it's finally race day. Because that's that's my element. I like race day. The rest of it's kind of just gravy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did anyone say anything leading up to it? I know your dad's been influential on you. Did your parents say anything? Did any other engineers or crew say anything to you that really stuck with you before the race?
1: I think most people know better than to say anything like leading, (laughs) okay? Most people just say good luck. (laughs) And uh, I think the part that stuck with me was that all five of our CGR cars were so fast throughout the entire time we were at Indy, especially during qualifying. Four of our five were in the fast six, which was a really big deal. So our cars just had a lot of speed and I know the rest of the paddock was impressed with what we had done as a group. So that part of that is like really special, something I'm holding on to.
0: As Angela just mentioned, Chip Ganassi Racing had an incredibly successful showing during Indy 500 qualifying. CGR Scott Dixon started from the pole for the fifth time in his career. CGR driver Alex Palou, the reigning IndyCar champion and 2021 Indy 500 runner-up started second, followed by Angela's teammate and driver Marcus Erickson in fifth and Tony Kanaan in sixth. So how did Angela feel leading up to the race with four Chip Ganassi racing drivers in the fast six?
1: It puts a lot of pressure on because you know that your car is capable of winning and that you're expected to win or at least contend for a win. But it also makes you feel kind of good because you know you have a car that can and should win. So I've been on the other side of it where I kind of knew the potential of my car was, oh, you know, if I do everything right today, I could maybe finish 10th. And that is demoralizing and <laughs> kind of kicks you down. So it's really nice going into the race thinking like, man, I've got a really good shot to win this. Don't screw it up.
0: <laughs> In our first interview with Angela, she described her love for the pomp and circumstance that comes with each and every Indy 500. So what was a moment during the pre-race ceremonies that really stuck out to her this year?
1: I really loved the flyover. It just, I don't know. That part in particular, I'm not sure why exactly, but it really stuck with me this year. I was on the timing stand and the rest of the team was out on the starting grid. So I walked out kind of onto pit lane and the planes came over like directly overhead. And I remember looking up and seeing this V flight pattern thinking like, man, that's really cool. I'm really, really lucky to be where I'm standing right now.
0: Okay, so the most iconic race in motorsports is about to start. And winning this race is a dream of every single driver and team on that grid. I asked Angela about the moment she knew Marcus was going to drive to victory and her and the team would win it all. Talk me through what was going through your mind those last maybe five laps. Did you know Marcus had a chance at winning? Like what was the whole team? What was that feeling like?
1: Well, earlier in the race, based on where we were running, I kind of thought, well, we're going to end up around seventh if things kind of stay status quo. And I was fairly happy with that. That's a good result, a good point stay. And then as we were getting closer to the end, a few other cars had issues and we were coming to the last pit stop. And I remember thinking, man, we're going to cycle through here to like, third or better if we jump someone on the stop. And as we came through the pit cycle, I'm like, oh my God, we're going to come out in the lead here. (laughs) This is awesome. (laughs) And then with five to go, so we're leading. I just remember thinking like, what is going to happen that's going to take this one away from me. Because I just remember thinking like something's going to happen and we're going to get screwed out of a win. <laughs> I couldn't, I kept thinking over and over, like, don't get too excited. Something's going to happen. It's like, this isn't real. And sure enough, we had a red flag with uh, a couple left to go. And I just thought, well, there it goes. Because we had a three second lead. We were basically just walking away with it. And then now we have to restart after a red flag. I'm worried about my electronics overheating while we're sitting there on pit lane. Like, is everything gonna boot back up the way that it should? And then on top of that, is Marcus going to be able to defend his position on the restart? So that was nerve-wracking. And I don't even think I believed that it was really gonna happen until after the checkered flag flew. <laughs> and I remember because Chip was sitting to my left and our other engineer Brad was sitting to my right. And we took the checkered flag and I kind of just looked and I looked over at Chip I was like, holy cow, we just won the (laughs) 85 hundred.
0: Was everyone in disbelief or what was, were half of you like cheering and freaking out and half of you were still kind of stunned? I I think it was like
1: 75% were freaking out, excited. And a few of us were still like, holy cow, did that just really happen?
0: Oh my gosh. You know, were people talking before, during the restart, or was it just kind of like really serious silence because you only had a couple laps left?
1: It was really serious, but I was on the radio to our crew chief telling him the sequence for what needed to stay powered up. We needed to get fans on, you know, X, Y, and Z please don't turn the car off <laughs> and, and kind of just talking him through like what needed to happen at the car. Our strategist, Michael Garrow, was on the radio with Marcus, basically just trying to keep him calm, get him refocused on restarting the race and thinking about how he was going to defend his position between those two things that took up all the available time.
0: just like that, more than 4.6 million people watched Marcus win the 106th running of the Indy 500. Okay, so Marcus wins, the checkered flag's out. What happens next?
1: Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of high-fiving in the pit box. So a short celebration there. So we were all the way at the front of pit lane. So most of us just took off. I took off running like as fast as I <laughs> could down pit lane. And I was just thinking, my husband, Craig, works for the 60 team as an engine calibrator. And so I was just thinking, oh, my God, I, like, I have to see Craig. you like, I can't believe <laughs> we just did this. <laughs> and so I took off running thinking, I don't know why that like I should have been running to victory lane, but I was running to get to his pit box so I could see him. And I actually momentarily <laughs> ran past victory lane. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm here. <laughs> So we all ran down to victory lane. By the time I got there, the car had just pulled in. We greeted Marcus as he got out of the car and high fives all around and hugs and all of
0: that. Was Marcus kind of in disbelief or did he fully know that he just won the Indy 500? Had it sunk in yet, you think? It still
1: may not have. (laughs) Um, It's just, (laughs) it's such a big deal to win that race. I'm not sure that that you even really appreciate it or like believe that it happened until long after it's happened.
0: So Angela and her husband got to share some special moments together, but who else did she contact afterwards? And who was the first to receive an extra special selfie of Angela and Marcus with the coveted Warner trophy? So my sister-in-law and my father-in-law were there. And
1: so that was really cool that I got to, um, you know, give them hugs after, you know, The victory circle at Indy Motor Speedway is really cool because it's raised up. So you go up an elevator or you go on the stairs up behind. So you're on this big platform and we took pictures and all that stuff. And then on the way back down, they were standing in this like sea of people waiting to tell me congratulations. So that was really cool that I got to celebrate with them. I think my first text, I had a selfie with Marcus with the Board Warner Trophy And I texted that to my dad and my brother because they were kind of the people in my family growing up that we bonded over racing. And that's kind of what really started my passion for motorsports. So they were the first people that weren't there that I shared with.
0: The Chip Ganassi racing team hadn't won an Indy 500 in a decade, but on May 29th, 2022, Marcus and the team won Chip Ganassi his fifth Indy 500 as a team owner. Okay. So what was Victory Lane like? You know, you've won other races, but what was it like after winning the Indy 500?
1: Indy is way different. One, there's just a lot of people there and it's a lot bigger deal. There's so much more going on. Normally it's just like spray champagne. Everybody gets a swig. You take a picture and, you know, celebrate a little bit. And then you head back to your time. You stand and tear down and get ready to go. Indy is like, I was prepared to be in victory lane all night if if they would allow (laughs) us. It's an extended celebration. And one of the really cool things were just how many fans had come to that area to celebrate with you. And there were a few like younger girls that were standing along the staircase. And you know, I gave them a high five on the way down. I just thought that was really cool. And somebody in the massive people offered me a beer, which that was funny. <laughs> Did you accept or no? <laughs> I I may have. <laughs> I may have.
0: <laughs>
1: so yeah, it's a much bigger celebration.
0: Angela mentioned her husband Craig, also a fellow boilermaker and mechanical engineering alum, in our first interview with her. Craig is an engine calibrator for Honda Performance Development, or HPD, within the IndyCar series. So he was there to witness CGR's number eight Husky Chocolate Honda win and experience Victory Lane with Angela.
1: So my husband, Craig, did... I don't know how he got up there, but he found his way up there <laughs> and he came up and gave me a big hug and that was really awesome. So yeah, he was up up in victory lane with me and we took a few pictures together and that was really cool. So I didn't get to see um, my extended family until after we had finished with a lot of the photos and stuff and had drank our milk, but... That was really cool that he was able to get up there and celebrate with me just like right after it had happened.
0: What does all this support mean to you, you know, from your husband, who's a fellow Boilermaker, your parents, your family? How does that kind of fuel you for the next race as you keep going in your career? Well, obviously
1: I can't work in a vacuum. You know, I have, especially my husband, I when I decided that I really wanted to be in racing, you know, we both picked up our lives. And he left his career at Chrysler so that I could go and pursue my dream. And that's not a trivial thing that he did for me. And when I decided that I wanted to leave NASCAR and come to IndyCar, we picked up our lives a second time. You know, that was not a trivial thing for him to do now twice. I have a lot of late nights, long days that... I'm away from home a lot and I work really long hours and he always is picking up the slack for me. Yeah. I couldn't do it without him, frankly, because you have to have a support system and you know, he's right behind me and he totally supports the racing lifestyle because he's got the racing bug too. So (laughs) hopefully he feels the same for me, you know, when he gets really busy and needs extra time or has a test or whatever, I try and pick up the slack on the other end.
0: I asked Angela to give her take on Marcus's incredible driving and the rest of her CGR team strategy that day.
1: Well, I think part of what really helped us was our running position earlier in the race because we were back in the pack a little bit and your fuel mileage is extremely dependent on where you're at in the field. So if you're out leading, you're getting considerably worse fuel mileage than if you were running like seventh or eighth like we were or even, you know, third or fourth, that first person line really takes a big hit on the fuel mileage. And that kind of stacks up during the race. And so Marcus is a smart driver and he's really got his head in the game all the time. So if he wasn't passing anyone or he, he knew he couldn't get by them because of the air wash on his car, he was saving fuel all the time during the race. So at the end of the race, What that means is you don't have to put as much fuel in the car, which means that you can take a shorter pit stop and only put in just enough fuel to get to the end. You don't have to fill it all the way up. That was definitely something fuel-wise that helped us win. Part of it's just luck of circumstance. And the other part is just being prepared to take advantage of the circumstances.
0: As I mentioned earlier in this episode, part of what makes the victory so special for Angela is that she made history as the first woman IndyCar crew member to win the Indy 500. Angela has now been featured in numerous articles and magazines, like Mel Magazine, for example, where writer Ian Douglas said, quote, In a sport not exactly known for its diversity, Angela Ashmore is trailblazing her way to Victory Lane, where she and her team recently took a lap as this year's Indy 500 champs. He also made sure to point out that under 10% of IndyCar engineers are women. So what did it mean to Angela to make history? And how did she feel learning that she achieved a first within the IndyCar series? Somebody had asked me that
1: in Victory Lane, actually, and they're like, so are you the first woman to do this? And I was like, I have no idea. (laughs) I'm really not sure. And actually, Marshall Pruitt, who does a lot of motorsports writing, he did a lot of the background research and got in touch with some Indy Motor Speedway historians and basically like tracked down this fact-finding mission to see if I was or wasn't. And it turned out that as far as they know that I am. And I, I thought that was really cool. Part of what made that so special was that when I was in NASCAR, which is what I dreamed about doing as a kid, my goal was to be the first female crew chief in NASCAR. That's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to be. And it was really important to me to to be the first one. A few years ago, when I decided to leave NASCAR, I kind of had to give up on that dream because, you know, if I wasn't going to be a NASCAR, then I couldn't be the first female crew chief, obviously. I think this is an adequate replacement, more than adequate replacement for that goal of mine and something that I can hang on to as I still was able to achieve something in my field that no other woman had done.
0: And it's so funny because I remember I talked to Marcus at a test day at IMS. That was really cool. I've obviously spoken to you a couple of times and you guys just kept saying the Indy 500 is the pinnacle. Like, of course, this is like the biggest dream of ours. And then it happened. And it's just so amazing to see that. And I'm sure you guys... Just had, of course, the best day. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) So Chip sets these goals for us and we talk about them every week in our pre-race meeting. You know, we have two goals for the season. Number one is win the Indy 500. And in some respects, that's an even bigger goal than winning the championship. And goal number two, which I just alluded to, is to win the championship. Every single week we talk about those. So it's obviously a difficult thing to do to win either of those. So it's a big achievement to be able to do it.
0: Longtime motorsports writer Marshall Pruitt, who Angela just mentioned, did a few features on this CGR number eight Husky Chocolate Honda team in Racer Magazine. He mentions that Angela wasn't the only woman involved in this story. Nicole Rotondo is the engine technician from Honda Performance Development who tuned the motor Marcus used to win the race. Marshall said, quote, like Angela, it was Nicole's first Indy 500 win and her third in the series, all with Marcus Erickson. Two women directly involved with the victory, one on the team side and the other with a key vendor, made for powerful optics as the TV cameras and photographers captured the moment. Angela mentioned in the same article, quote, I think it's pretty important to tell that story because there's a million little girls out there, five and six and seven years old, that I would want to totally fall in love with racing and see that success and see themselves in it. It's an important thing for little girls to be able to aspire towards big things and having somebody to look up to is important. If I could be that person, even for a couple of minutes, I would be honored. We're certain Angelo was a role model for many little girls after that race. As of the end of June, Marcus is in first place in the IndyCar series with 293 points, leading 27 points over Willpower. The Indy 500 is worth double points in the standings, plus Marcus just scored a second place finish at Road America in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, and Road America marked his fourth consecutive top seven finish. What would it mean to Angela and the entire team to win both the Indy 500 and the Indy Series championship in the same season? Actually, I was reading something at lunch, and I, I may be mistaken,
1: but I think that It's only been done two other times in recent history, and both of them have been Chip Ganassi racing drivers, Scott Dixon and Dario Franchitti in 2008 and 2010. Wow. It's been done, but not recently. It's a pretty huge deal if you can check both off, especially one season.
0: When we talk about other Chip Ganassi drivers, obviously there's competition. Everyone's competitive. This is a professional sport. But what is it like? Are the teammates happy that Marcus won? I'm sure that everyone wants to win it, but what is it like within that culture of Chip Ganassi Racing?
1: You know, we really take the one team mentality to heart, and I think that's something that the people of CGR do really well. And what makes us so competitive because we're all pushing in the same direction. You know, obviously we're all competing against one another, but we're not hiding anything from one another either. One of the things at the 500 was Alex was leading early in the race and he caught a yellow at the exact wrong time and had to take emergency fuel and then go to the back of the field. That basically took him out of contention. And Scott Dixon was right there at the front of the field to take his spot when he caught some bad luck. And then late in the race, after Scott had led most of the race and was on a good path to victory... Couldn't get slowed down enough and sped on pit lane. So same thing. Then now he's got a penalty. He goes, you know, basically to the back of the field. And, you know, there's another CGR car there that's just as fast, that's ready to take that spot and carry the torch for the team. So, you know, if one car can't do it, we want the next car to do it. And if that car can't do it, the next car is right there, ready to do it. So we're all always backing each other up. It was one of the really nice things. I know it was really heartbreaking for Scott because he had led so much of the race and his car was obviously really fast. You know, he came to victory lane and congratulated Marcus. And I know that it was really heartfelt congratulations because he knows from his own experience what a big deal it is to win that race. We're competitive, but we're still a family.
0: And speaking of family, Angela was featured as part of the Purdue family in our Indy 500 commercial on NBC, which aired during the 106th running of the Indy 500 on May 29th, 2022. How did Angela feel when she first saw it? I don't know if I realized that I was going to be in it (laughs) and I started watching it and I was like,
1: oh, how cool. (laughs) That is so awesome. I was surprised but happily surprised and the commercial gave me all the feels because just the music in the background and all the sights and sounds like of Indy Motor Speedway and that place is just so special and all these little things that make it special it's like Purdue's really ingrained in all those things so I'm just honored to even be a part of that even if it's a small part but you know, I'm honored to represent my school.
0: Absolutely. No, it's not a small part. It's a big part. (laughs) Did any other Boilermakers reach out to you after your win? You know, did our, I hope our podcast helped show the world that a Boilermaker won the Indy 500 too.
1: (laughs) I got an inordinate number of messages after the race and I am still struggling to respond to them all. Uh, even in June, a lot of people did reach out and just say, you know, congratulations. A lot of old classmates who I hadn't talked to in a long time reached out and said like, oh my gosh, I think that's so cool. I remember you being so into motorsports, even when we were at Purdue together. And so, yeah, it was really cool to connect with some people from, from my past and some people, honestly, that I had never met that are just, you know, part of the Purdue family and wanted to reach out and congratulate me and felt like they were part of the win because of that tie. That was really cool.
0: That's awesome. We love hearing that. We discussed this a bit in our first interview with Angela, but I wanted to follow up. In March 2022, Chip Ganassi and PNC Bank partnered together to announce the Women in Motorsports campaign to drive awareness and support for gender equality and economic inclusion for women in the workforce. At the time, CGR also announced the inaugural Women in Motorsports Internship Program. They selected a group of five young women in college to work for the team during the 2022 IndyCar season, and one of those students is from Purdue. Angela gives us an update on this special internship program, and she names her next giant leap. Yeah, so we have
1: five interns, and um, one of them is from Purdue. So they've been at the track with us since Indy, I guess. Indy was the first event that they got to you know start getting integrated with our team man they probably came in and thought wow it's pretty easy to win (laughs) like first try (laughs) it came in and like here here we are victory lane (laughs) i'm hoping i am impressing on them how difficult it is and (laughs) setting a good example for work ethic and the amount of attention to detail that it really takes to get the job done it's cool to see some other people getting their foot in the door and Just starting out their career where, you know, they're seeing things for the first time that is maybe not as novel to me anymore. It's kind of fun to see that through a different pair of eyes.
0: Well, we can't thank you enough for sharing this update with us and sharing your experience with us again. So we're rooting for you and Marcus and the number eight team for sure. Thanks.
1: Yeah, we've got nine races to go in the season and maybe we'll talk again in October with a championship under my belt, hopefully.
0: Yes, next giant leap, championship. Yes, <laughs> yes. How amazing is it that our podcast team got to work with an Indy 500 winner, not once, but twice now? And how many universities can say their alum was the first woman car crew member to win the Indy 500? Just one. <laughs> you can check out our full post-Indy 500 video interview with Angela on YouTube at youtube.com slash Purdue. Plus, in case you missed it, we're adding our original interview with Angela onto this episode right now. So listen in as she discusses her childhood, Purdue journey, and what she hoped her next giant leap would be. But as you all just heard, that next giant leap was achieved with the Indy 500 win. We hope you enjoy it. It's officially May in Indiana. The weather is finally starting to warm up and race fans far and wide are preparing for a little race called the Indianapolis 500. From Purdue University's All-American Marching Band serving as the host band of the race since 1919 to the 500 Festival Princess Program, right down to the milk that the winner drinks, Purdue's involvement in the Indy 500 can be seen through a variety of traditions on race day and in the 500 Festival Foundation activities leading up to it. 2022 marks the 106th year for this legendary 500-mile race, and we're proud to say multiple Purdue University alums are heavily involved in the greatest spectacle in racing. One of these alums is NTT IndyCar Series engineer Angela Ashmore, who received both her bachelor's and master's in mechanical engineering at Purdue. As an engineer for Chip Ganassi Racing's number 8 Husky Chocolate Honda, Angela works on collecting and analyzing data from the car for IndyCar driver Marcus Erickson. Angela isn't someone who just happened to get into the professional motorsports world. She's a lifelong race fan. I asked her about when she first fell in love with racing. I have a very distinct memory of being pretty young, like maybe five
1: years old. And our local track was Berlin Raceway up in Michigan. And I was there with my dad. And I'm sure my mom was there too. But I specifically remember my dad being there. He helped me up the steps. And I remember it being very scary because there were these big gaps in between the steps and he was helping me climb up. And we sat down and he had bought these gargoyle sunglasses, which were popular at the time because Dale Earnhardt had gargoyle sunglasses. He picked me up to put me on his lap so he could watch and his sunglasses fell off his head and somebody stole them.
0: Not only were Angela and her dad big race fans, they were also fans of the late legendary NASCAR driver, Dale Earnhardt. Oh yeah, it was
1: like, borderline obsession, like really obsessed with him. He was easily my favorite driver.
0: Why was he your favorite driver out of all the other drivers?
1: I guess because my dad liked him. We just had that in common. I kind of picked up my love for racing from my dad. And so it was a common interest we had. I saw him rooting for Dale,
0: so I did too. So we knew that Angela loved racing growing up, but at what point did she realize that she could turn her love of cars and motorsports into an actual career? I equate my want of being a driver to most little kids when they're like, I want to be
1: a fireman, I'm going to be president, I'm going to be a doctor. (laughs) I wanted to be involved in racing. I knew I really loved it. And then once I started to get older, I started to understand what I was good at, what I enjoyed. And that's kind of when I started thinking about, okay, well, what can I actually do with the things that I like and I'm good at, which math and science And how can I apply that to something I like so that I can work in a field that I like doing something that I'm good at? And so that's kind of how I ended up going down this race engineering path because engineering was a natural fit for me and motorsports was the field that I wanted to be in.
0: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people aren't that lucky. They have passions, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll get to spend their whole career being around their passions. Were you in high school when you realized that you could really pursue motorsports as a career? Or when did that click? Early in high school, I thought, well, I'm good at math
1: and I'm good at science. What can I do with those? And I thought of traditional things like accounting where like a DL major in physics. And I didn't really grasp what engineering was or what engineers did because the field is so broad. And as an engineer, you can do so many different things. And it didn't even really occur to me that engineering was a path until my dad said, You know, we had a sit down when I was maybe a junior in high school. And he asked, what do you think you're going to do realistically in college? What are you going to major in? And I said, I really don't know. I just know I like math. (laughs) Um, He was the one who said, you know, you should really think about engineering. I think you'd be a natural fit. It would be great for you. And I don't think I questioned it after that point. I did a little research and understood a little more about what the field was. And here you are. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. Angela grew up outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and as you may know, there's another Big Ten school well-known for engineering in Michigan. How did she find out about Purdue? And what was it like for Angela, the valedictorian of her high school, that first year in another state, away from her family and friends, and attempting to keep up with the challenging coursework of a first-year engineering student?
1: I got a flyer in the mail. I showed my dad, and I was like, wow, wouldn't it be really cool if I could actually go here? <laughs> and I didn't really think at the time that it was possible. I just thought for sure since I was young that I was going to go to University of Michigan because it was a great engineering school and Purdue wasn't even on my radar. And when we went and started visiting colleges, the first step on campus, I just fell in love and I knew that was where I had to go. I had to be at Purdue.
0: What was it like your first year? You know, you're away from home for the first time and you're trying to immerse yourself and produce culture and go to all these classes. What types of steps did you have to take to really buckle down and know that you were on the right track? I think it was in shock
1: after my first year because I was used to being the best student. I was valedictorian. School was always easy for me. I never really had to try that hard and I was so good at it. And then I got to Purdue and it was really, really hard. And I suddenly wasn't the smartest person there. And I had to study and I had to try really hard to do just okay. Yeah, it was a shock, but my competitive nature kind of kicked in and I was like, okay, well, Either I buckle down and study harder and figure out how to do this,
0: or I'm not going to be an engineer. And so I just did it. I can tell that Angela's time at Purdue still means so much to her. She discusses how Purdue set her up for success in the professional racing world. What kind of skills did you learn, whether it's inside the classroom or outside the classroom? This is not a typical job, obviously. (laughs) So how did Purdue kind of tee you up for this? I mean, the biggest thing I learned
1: In school was how to think, how to problem solve, because that's what I do day in and day out. Is I get presented with new problems every day and stuff that I am not an expert in, that I don't really have any knowledge on, and I have to figure out, given find solve, what do I know about the problem? What am I trying to figure out? And how am I going to get there? And that was what my engineering degree gave me was that problem-solving technique.
0: During her time at Purdue, Angela was part of the Society of Automotive Engineers Collegiate Design Series, also known as SAE. In this program, students build their own race cars, which includes a year-long design process, manufacturing, testing, and racing against other universities. There are three teams within SAE at Purdue. Angela was on the Formula SAE team, where she helped build a single-seat Formula-style car with an internal combustion engine. She also learned how to manufacture with carbon fiber and made composite control arms that shaved 10 pounds of weight off the car. Formula I got involved in, I think my sophomore year,
1: I can't remember how I even found it. It was a friend of a friend who was like, hey, have you heard about formula? Do you know what it is? Because I think he would be really interested in it. And I was kind of on the fence. And then I was all in as soon as I figured out what it was. (laughs) It was an excellent experience for me because through your classes, obviously you get all of the practical knowledge and the book smarts, but Formula SAE gave me the teamwork aspect. You had to work to a deadline, produce a product. You got to actually compete and put the thing that you made, this race car, to the test against other groups of students who had worked on the same project. So you kind of had a natural grading scale there's no curve like your car's either faster it's not you know you either designed it well or you didn't you also learn tangible skills like working machine shop learn like how to use all the machines you learn basic mechanical skills how to use tools stuff like that all of those skills were so invaluable it was a really great
0: experience do you have any favorite stories or like one favorite memory
1: I believe there's a stretch of time. I stayed up for three days straight working on the (laughs) car. Before a race or? Uh, Yeah, before competition. Yeah, it was in the final stretch and we were kind of a little bit behind schedule. (laughs) How did that happen? Just lots of coffee or? I don't drink coffee. I think we had a thing that year with grape soda. Oh, okay. Yeah, we bought it in bulk, so...
0: (laughs) Angela also shares which Purdue professors made a big impact on her college experience. Professor Krausgrill was one of my favorites. I mean, I had
1: a few that I still remember and were really great. Professor Krausgrill is like one of the best teachers I've ever had, just from the standpoint of making me excited about learning the topic he was teaching and helping me to understand it really well. She was just so good at it. I don't even understand how he did such a good job, but I just loved him as a teacher. And then uh, my professor for vehicle Dynamics, Professor Starkey, he was just so great. I worked with him on my senior design project and he was really flexible and helped us pick a project that was interesting to us and not really traditional and kind of down the racing path. And I just really appreciated his tie into the motorsports realm and his appreciation for what I was trying to accomplish with my senior design, not just to do a project and check the box, but do something that actually meant something to me.
0: Angela has now worked for two of the biggest professional racing series in the world, NASCAR and IndyCar. She dives into her career path after graduating from Purdue in 2010.
1: So straight out of college... I wanted to go into racing. I didn't find an opportunity right away, and I did have an opportunity to work in the automotive field, so I got an offer at Chrysler. It was for a rotational program. It offered me a chance to get my master's degree, and it was a really great opportunity, so I took it. One of the Great things about that opportunity was that they were lenient with where you got your degree from. So I went through the process and got Purdue approved for uh, for the degree program. So I did my master's degree through Purdue while I was working through my rotational program at Chrysler. So after I finished my rotations, then it was time to choose a permanent position. I had a spot lined up at Dodge Motorsports, which was a perfect fit for me. And two months before I was supposed to start that position, the motorsports program shut down. That was a bummer. I had to figure out something else to do. So there's a smaller group of people there that are really passionate about performance vehicles, and it's called SRT, Stream Racing Technology. Being that it's a small group, it's kind of tough to get in, especially as a newer hire. But I found a spot there in SRT Driveline. They took me on. And so that was my next two and a half years. I got to work on the very first Hellcat program, which is the 6-2 Supercharged. Really awesome. I got to do so many cool things. Like we tested at the racetrack and I got to drive and we tested a lot at the drag strip and I got to drive a lot for that. And so that was all really great experience. And it wasn't really racing though. So fast forward a couple of years, a friend I had got a job at Rush Fenway Racing and he said, you know, I, I know of another position that's opening up if you're interested. Like, yes, <laughs> yeah, please. Because I still really had that passion. I knew I wanted to work in racing no matter what. The position opened up and I applied and they took me on and uh, I worked my way up at Rush Fenway from an assistant to the assistant engineer. I was like, a super support role and then you know the next year I got moved up to managing that group and then the next year I got moved up to a race engineer in the Xfinity series and then after half a year as a race engineer at Xfinity I got moved up to a race engineer in the Cup series so I just kind of progressed through that and then after four and a half years there then I got an opportunity to come here to Tip Ganassi Racing and work in IndyCar which was an absolute dream And so I jumped on the opportunity. I was really excited to come back to Indiana, get back to the Midwest, work on a more manageable schedule racing-wise. And there was a lot of more technical work that really interested me. So it was a natural fit. And I'm so glad that I'm here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Purdue has ties to space, ties to NASA. A lot of engineers at NASA are Purdue alum. Is there anyone in the racing world that you run into? Or is there a group of you guys that are engineers? There are Purdue engineers everywhere.
1: I know it more from the engineering side. I mean, everywhere I've been, there's other Purdue engineers. And there's a few right here in this building. One of the most popular drivers in NASCAR, Ryan Newman. He's a Purdue grad. Probably the most popular one, at least in the motorsports scene. That's a great thing about Purdue is that wherever you go, there's someone who has that common tie with you. Actually, one of the guys who works here with me is a really good friend, and he and I actually did our senior design project together.
0: Oh, cool. And so we talk about that all the time, like, oh, hey, you remember when we did <laughs> Yeah. Angela's husband is also a Boilermaker and also works with an indie car as an engineer. And their first date story is one for the books. My
1: husband, Craig, he's a Purdue grad. He is older than me, so we didn't actually go to Purdue at the same time, but we kind of took a similar path. You know, he went through mechanical engineering just as I did. He did Formula SAE just like I did. And then he took a job at Chrysler just like I did. We met through a mutual friend at Chrysler when I was there as an intern she knew that we were both really into racing. And so we hung out for the first time and went to mid-Ohio to an IndyCar race. And it poured down rain on us. And I guess it was meant to be because both of us had a great time. So.
0: Angela is the first to say her job is different every single day. Between race weeks to the off-season to preparing for what many consider the biggest race of all, the Indianapolis 500. None of Angela's days look the same.
1: My main role is data systems engineers. So there's an electrical box on the car and it collects data from hundreds of sensors. And we have thousands of channels of data. And I set the calibrations and the logging rates and collect all that data and write math to make it usable and distribute that to the other engineers to use. And then I also work on tools to consume that data and make it easier to digest for the people who need to you know, make the decisions.
0: And how do you work with the driver when it comes to that? And how do the team of engineers kind of help, I guess, the driver digest that too?
1: So normally the driver will either ask for specific requests for his aides in the car and anything on the steering wheel or like cockpit controls, I can just change those things directly. But then if it's something about how the car's handling, normally the race engineer will handle those requests, but a lot of times I'll help out with the data analysis side and getting data in front of the driver. So I'll work on things like developing tools so that the driver can get data immediately when he comes into pit lane. You know, as soon as he stops, he's got data in front of him and he can pull up the data and look at it himself. Because, you know, as you heard, like a picture's worth a thousand words, while trying to describe someone what the data looks like and where they're losing time compared to another driver, he can only describe so much. But if you can put it in a visual format, that's easier for them to visually see, okay, here's a you know, et compare of here's where I lost time, I'm plus time here, I'm minus time here. It's really easy to see for them. So we can't send data to the car by rule while the car's running. So during practice, we're making those changes on the fly. And normally I'm evaluating shift points and driver reaction time and changing like shift lights and shift patterns. If it's things on the steering wheel that he wants different or like lights different or driver alarms for like fuel or limiter time or stuff like that. Now I can change that stuff really quickly. It'll take me, you know, a minute or two and send it to the car while he's in the pits. And then between runs, we can change it. But normally once you set sail, On the race, you've got what you've got.
0: And just like each of her workdays are different, each IndyCar race is also different. Here's an example of what Angela works on as she prepares for a race weekend. So I'll normally spend
1: at least a day on the computer getting the setup ready for the data logger. We're putting in a bunch of constants and motion ratios and suspension geometry. All of these things that help all of these math channels that are running on board calculate correctly. And then as the car's getting put together, I'll come down and plug into the car and do a systems check. So we'll check every sensor in the car, check the nominal voltage, check the calibration and make sure that everything's working correctly, program the steering wheels, just do a once over on everything in the car. Then I'll have a couple days of just preparing data scenarios. I'll spend time doing pre-race strategy Pre-race fuel scenarios, I'll be looking at previous race data, stuff like that. I think a lot of what we do are incremental changes. You don't often change a spring and have the car be a second faster. Especially when we go to Indy, we're looking for fractions of a mile per hour. And with stuff I work on, there's no obvious upfront gain a lot of times you know, working on tools that improve our efficiency. One of the tools I've been working on is the race fuel program. I've been working on it for, I think, two years now, just like tweaking and tweaking and tweaking away. But I get into race situations every once in a while where a feature I've added comes into play. And it's like, wow, I was able to answer that question really quickly on the spot. And I don't think other teams would be able to do that. And that gives us an advantage. That
0: kind of stuff comes up
1: all the time.
0: As Angela just mentioned, she also works on fuel strategy for the number eight car. She discusses how fuel strategy can impact the result of a race.
1: Every weekend a little different. Normally before the weekend is part of the preparations. I go through and write out a bunch of scenarios that could happen. You've got a lot of options as far as what the driver can do and how much they can save. So if they run full out, let's say you make it like 3.0, Miles per gallon, but if they were to lift and coast, which is a strategy, and also run a fuel mixture, which is controlled on the ECU side of things, so the engine, let's say you could get like 3.8 miles per gallon. So if you run really hard, you're not going to be able to run as long, obviously. And if you were to run a more fuel safe strategy, you could run longer. So there's a crossover point where when you're saving fuel, you're giving up lap time to save that fuel. There's a point where You could maybe save a pit stop and only have to pit maybe twice instead of three times. But you might also give up enough lap time saving that amount of fuel where going one less pit stop doesn't actually save you any time. So you kind of got to go through those options.
0: Then there's the yellow flag scenario. For all of you racing fans out there, you know how that yellow flag can impact a race. When the yellow flag is waved from the starter stand, it places the race under caution. And why do they wave this caution flag? It signals hazardous conditions on the track and cars must slow down immediately, maintain position, and yield to track safety vehicles until the green flag is displayed again. Angela tells us more about the fuel strategy when cars are under a yellow.
1: So then the other part of that is evaluating the history of yellows at that race, where they fall, how probable they are, because you'll get a lot better mileage under yellow flag conditions. With a yellow flag strategy, If you assume that you're going to get an average number of yellows, let's say it's 10 laps of yellow, you might gain an extra three or four laps. might make a big difference to your strategy. So if you assume you're going to get some yellows and you can also save maybe three tenths of a mile per gallon, that might widen up your fuel windows a little bit or it might allow you to make one less stop. There's a lot of what-if scenarios that you're just trying to plan for in advance. The preparation for the weekend is taking all those what-if scenarios and just having them ready because you can't say what the strategy is going to be for the race until you get to the race because it totally depends on what happens, how fast your car is, how much the tires are falling off, if there's a yellow that falls, where it falls during the race, all those things kind of affect what kind of strategy you have.
0: And for anyone who thinks people within the IndyCar circuit work really hard during the March through October season then get a quote-unquote chill during the off-season? Angela says that's not the case. I would say I am
1: just as busy in the off-season as I am during the season. Normally, you have larger scale projects that you don't necessarily have time to work on or give your full attention to during the season. And so... Throughout the season, I just have a list that just starts building up. And over time I just prioritize those. Okay, like I really want to rewrite the fuel strategy program. I really want to do, you know, live metrics. I really want to do this and this. And so you work on those projects, and really it's a short period of time from the end of the season to the start of the next season because you've got testing jammed in there and you know, you've got holidays and things like that. It goes by really fast. So you have to be super focused and set deadlines still, even though you think like, well, wow, you've got a couple months or a few months, you really don't. Like you've got 10 projects that you have to get done before the start of the season. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, I've got to get this thing done
0: in one week and that's all I have. After walking around the paddock during a test day at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway with the Chip Ganassi racing team, I have to admit, it's largely a male-dominated sport. I asked Angela about her experience being one of few women in her career field. You know, you work in a male-dominated industry. Do you find it harder to, you know, work the way up the ranks? Are you working twice as hard? Or do you think that as time passes, it's getting better and there's more and more women coming into this field? How has that been with your career progression?
1: At the very beginning, I felt like it was more difficult to get a foot in the door. It was harder to get recognized. I definitely felt like I had to work harder to prove that I was capable and knew what I was doing, all that sort of stuff. I think part of that, too, is just in the back of your mind, you know that you haven't seen many other women around, and there's probably a reason for that. And in certain groups of people, definitely not here at Ganassi, but you know, in previous roles, there are certain people who don't want you there, to be frank. I mean... It's sad that it's still that way. I think it's good for you, though, because it makes you a better engineer. I think you get better at your job as you go. And then the other part that's really refreshing is that the longer I've been around, the more women I've seen. The number of females in the paddock has grown every single year. One of the really fun things we do at Indy 500 is Kara Adams, who's one of the Firestone engineers. She organizes this women, the Indy 500 photo, and we take a grid photo on race day every year. And it's really fun and interesting to see how every year the picture has grown in size. And last year, we had to take two pictures because there were so many of us, which is really cool.
0: It's amazing to hear the number of women in this sport is truly growing. Chip Ganassi Racing Team owner, Chip Ganassi, says the team is committed to helping advance opportunities for women in the sport. And in March 2022, Chip Ganassi and PNC Bank partnered together to announce the Women in Motorsports campaign to drive awareness and support for gender equality and economic inclusion for women in the workforce. The initiative includes a thought leadership video content series showcasing women industry leaders and an internship designed to accelerate career pathways in motorsports for women. Angela will be included in this unique video series along with two other women who work on the Chip Ganassi racing teams. CGR also announced the inaugural Women in Motorsports Internship Program. They recently selected a group of young women in college to work for the team during the 2022 IndyCar season. It's just meant to give some females an opportunity to get a foot in the door and
1: get some experience in the motorsports industry. An opportunity that they might not otherwise get or might not otherwise consider which I think is really important. Those opportunities don't come very easily. So I think it's something really great that PNC is doing and Chip Ganassi Racing is partnering with them to facilitate that. Women in Motorsports program, it looks like we may have a fellow female
0: from Purdue Engineering, which I am so excited about. <laughs> That's so awesome. yeah, I hope to see her around the building. Angela says the goal of the Women in Motorsports internship program is to fully immerse these young women into the culture of professional racing and give them hands-on career development experiences. And it's only natural they chose a Boilermaker to be part of this inaugural internship. Marcus Erickson drives Chip Ganassi's number eight Husky Chocolate Honda, and as a driver, Angela works hand-in-hand with him on finding that winning strategy. The people we mainly see in the media are the IndyCar drivers themselves. But the team members working behind the scenes are the ones who set these drivers up for success each and every race. Marcus explains why the relationship between a driver and engineer is so incredibly important.
2: For us at at IndyCar, we obviously drive the car, but we spend basically most of our time on the race weekends in the engineering office trying to analyze every session and prepare for the next session. We have a lot of data logs that we go through, simulations. As a driver today, you drive the car amount of time but yeah you work a lot with your engineers to try to improve the performance the personal relationship you have with engineers and the understanding between driver and engineer is something that's very very important for then result in a race weekend and in a championship so that's why you know for me as a driver that relationship that I have with my engineers is something I work on constantly and can make a difference between winning or not and something that I feel like Angela is really bringing to the table is her dedication and work ethics. She's working very, very hard and always, you know, very detailed in her work. She's focusing a lot on the strategy side with fuel and stuff like that, that requires a lot of focus on the details. And I think she's very, very good at that.
0: As Marcus pointed out, Angela's job requires so many tiny details that all add up. And it can make the difference between winning and, well, not winning. So let's get down to it. This is an episode celebrating Purdue's ties to the greatest spectacle in racing after all. What exactly does Angela do to prepare for this race? She breaks it all down for us, including the fuel strategy. The
1: Indianapolis 500 is a really big race. It's the biggest race of the season for us and for everyone, really. But I treat the 500 just like any other race. I give it the same level of attention to detail. I go through every scenario that could happen, every point where the yellow falls, or could fall, all the same scenarios. So it's really the same, but the difference for that race is it's much longer. So there are a lot more pit stops and it opens up your strategy a lot more because there's more choices during the race as far as when you can pit and how far you want to go into that stint. Part of doing fuel strategy is trying to mitigate risk. Hopefully, you have a good idea up front. There's always a risk reward and When you make a decision, you kind of know what that trade-off is in advance. So we tend not to make decisions that are very high risk for the potential reward. I know Nashville last year, we wrecked early on and that was a really tight fuel race for us. It wasn't necessarily a risky strategy, but it was a very high fuel save race. And that took a lot of management on the fuel strategy. And so that was one of the ones that sticks out in my mind that paid off in the end because we won that race and we were off strategy because of a wreck that we were in early in the race.
0: Marcus previously competed in Formula One between 2014 and 2018, before he debuted in IndyCar in 2019. In 2021, Marcus scored his first IndyCar win in Detroit. What does it feel like for the Chip Ganassi team when all of their hard work pays off? It is just
1: indescribable. For me, like last year at Detroit, it was my first ever win. And it felt like something I had been working toward my entire life. There were so many times that we were so close to winning or should have won and something small happened. and We didn't. And the number of things that have to go right for you to win a race is unimaginable. And when it finally comes together, it's like you almost can't believe it. (laughs) And then you've got this group of people who you spend so much time around and they're almost like family because you travel with them week in and week out and you spend all day with them at the shop every day to celebrate with them it's a big deal.
0: Marcus and the team won another race in Nashville in August 2021 at the inaugural Music City Grand Prix with his Chip Ganassi teammate Scott Dixon finishing second. Marcus ended the 2021 season in 6th place in the drivers championship. And during this 2022 season Marcus got on the podium, placing third at the Texas Motor Speedway. So what would it mean to Marcus to win the Indy 500 and to drink that milk, which, by the way, has been provided by two Purdue dairy farmers during the past two years?
2: Everyone that's going to go here in in May and drive is a dream, you know, for everyone to win the Indy 500 is a race that's the biggest race in the world, I would say. and, And to win it, it's something that you work towards, I think, all your career. So it would mean everything.
0: As we've heard, Angela's giant leap into professional racing came after relentless persistence and perseverance. As for Angela's next giant leap, she's aiming for an Indianapolis 500 win. There's a lot of special races throughout the IndyCar circuit, but the Indy 500 is kind of, you know, the pinnacle, right? That's the one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what is it like preparing for that race? And what is that day? It
1: is incredibly stressful preparing for that race. There is no stone unturned and even simple things that are easy and you don't give a second thought on any other race weekend, you will question a hundred times before you go into that race. The amount of preparation is just incredible. And the amount of attention to detail and time that you spend on that one race is far and away more than any other race of the season.
0: What's the excitement
1: like that day? So my first year was 2020, and that was the year without fans. Yeah. And I will never forget it because I've been to the race as a fan, and the excitement is palpable. In all of the pomp and circumstance and, like, hearing back home in Indiana and the Purdue marching band coming <laughs> and doing, doing the walk down pit lane, all that stuff is just, like, an entire day of buildup. And then that first year I went and it was just completely silent. Running a race in complete silence was something I will never forget because it was so strange. Oh, I'm sure. And then last year we had a limited capacity. So it wasn't really like the Indy 500. It wasn't, you know, a normal Indy 500. So really this year is going to be my first full-fledged Indy 500 as a participant.
0: We will certainly be rooting for Angela and that number eight Chip Ganassi Racing Husky Chocolate Honda at the Indy 500. Angela reflects back once again on how Purdue helped her achieve her small steps and giant leaps. When you look back at your time at Purdue, why do you think Purdue is so unique and how did that set you up for something as unique as this job? The thing about Purdue is the
1: engineering program is just so good. It's nationally ranked. It's really well-respected. It doesn't matter where you go. You can say Purdue and people know what it is, what it stands for, and how good of a school it is. It's instant respect. If you made it to the Purdue program, then people know what you're about. Having a Purdue degree is it's part of my identity, <laughs> really. It's just an excellent school.
0: What does the community and that Boilermaker spirit mean to you?
1: just that you can connect with someone no matter where you are. It wouldn't matter if I moved to Canada, I bet you whatever town I was in, I could find someone who went to Purdue. You can always find someone from Purdue and there's always just like a mutual respect because you both kind of know where you came from.
0: If you'd like to watch our full video interview with Angela at Chip Ganassi Racing Headquarters in Indianapolis, head on over to youtube.com Purdue. And in the meantime, we'll leave you with some of Angela's This Is Purdue rapid fire questions. Okay, we are going to do a few rapid fire questions, but they're really easy. They're about Purdue. This is the first time I'm doing this, so I'm testing it with you. Okay. Okay. What's your favorite spot on campus and why? Oh, the
1: clap circle. I love the <laughs> clap circle.
0: That's amazing. I would not be able to think of something that fast. Favorite Boilermaker tradition? Oh, running the fountains. What's your next small step or giant leap, personally or professionally? Winning the Indy 500 this year, I hope. Yes. I love that answer. Thanks for listening to This is Purdue. For more information on this episode, visit our website at purdue.edu podcast There, you can head over to your favorite podcast app to subscribe and leave us a review. And as always, Boiler Up!